It's time for episode 314 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, October 2nd, 2019. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where it's pencils down, your time is up. I am your co-host, Dan Morin, and sitting in for Micah Sargent this week, I've invited back our lovely emeritus co-host, Mr. Jason Snell. How are you doing, Jason? Hi, Dan. How does the show work? I don't even remember. Is it like 43 minutes long? Is yeah, that how it works? 43 <laughs> minutes long, and there are 17 and a half topics. Don't ask me how we get the half topic. Five it's... people. Yeah. <laughs> Five people. It's very confusing. But let's try to simplify it. Uh, we have two fantastic guests this week. To my left, it is our favorite Slovenian tech writer, podcaster, all-around, fantabulously tall guy. It's Anje Tomic. <laughs> Hi, Anje. Welcome back. Hi. I like that the tall part was at the end. Like, I, I like that that was the last thing on my you know, resume. This that, is what happens yeah. when I improvise the introductions. <laughs> Well, and to my left, you might know her. She was at Smile. She did App Camp for Girls, and she likes Star Trek. It's Jean McDonald. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Jason and everybody. I'm very glad to be here. And I would like to say also, I am the community manager of Micro.blog. Micro.blog. I could have thrown that in there, but I went with Star Trek instead. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I like that. She's also kind of tall, so, you know. <laughs> Kind of tall. Not that tall. <laughs> well, we have organized people in order of height. No, height. we haven't done yeah. that. That's that's not a great idea. Uh, I'm going to kick <laughs> things off today. Amazon had an event last week, and they seemed determined to saturate the market with Alexa-based devices. They introduced a plug, a smart plug with Alexa. They introduced glasses with Alexa and a ring with Alexa. So my question for you folks is, is this a winning move, or do you think it really doesn't mesh with how people actually want to use voice assistants? Anjay? Well, it's very Amazon, right? Just, you know, <laughs> doing everything, basically. I think that's that's been the plan there for a very long time. I just heard, like, the dash buttons got discontinued, and that was another thing where they were just like, yeah, we just need a button for people to order stuff. And now it's like three different, you know, gadgets with Alexa built in. I think that's just them doing what Amazon always does. I, I, I'm, like, I'm really intrigued to see, like, the, what the hardware's like, because with uh, Amazon, it's always, you know, it might look nice, but then you, like, pick it up. Up and it just it looks like one of those fake you know like I- ikea televisions that just hollow you know <laughs> like that's what that's the the vibe i'm getting from the the ring and the glasses because they're they're not even in wide release as far as i understand mm-hmm, yeah. but they just keep trying stuff and there's like there's merit to that but like with amazon i think they just do they, they really try and do everything right and it's just i don't know and then i i've i, I have yet to be surprised but what by one of their inventions when i'm like oh that that's never gonna work and then it actually works right like just excluding the first alexa speaker just the speaker in general like the tube right like everything else they've tried has kind of you know either fallen by the wayside or it's just like a curiosity on the site right uh but uh with the alexa stuff i'm not talking about the kindle so i don't know a winning move like wh- i don't even know what that means in like amazon headquarters i don't even what's the bar there for you know declaring something a success but and again i'm gonna be the slovenian guy now Alexa over here, not that big of a deal. You know, that's why it's kind of hard, even harder for me to get kind of excited about uh, all of the Alexa stuff. Mm. Is it a winning move? You know, the, the, while well, everybody else is playing chess, 
Uh, Amazon is playing some game they made up <laughs> with pieces like it's got like some some uh, Lego figures and a Monopoly car and who knows what else they're doing. And I'm serious about that. They aren't a tech company in a way. They're a retail and infrastructure company, and they have the freedom to throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks. I do think they're emboldened by the fact that that original Echo speaker was a success, and they figure they might as well keep trying and see where this stuff goes. And being pervasive with a voice assistant is the only way to survive. They do have a challenge with Alexa because their competition has voice assistants too and they actually are the ones making the phones and making uh, other products that are that are more near and dear to people's hearts than than Amazon's products are perhaps. So I I you know I encourage experimentation. I think it's great that they're trying this stuff, but it feels now like maybe they're caught in a in a trap where they're seeing everything through the prism of Alexa instead of maybe trying to break out of that and do some new things. Uh, and this event was the one where I kind of started to roll my eyes and say, "Please stop trying to Alexa all the things. Do something." <laughs> You know, you're, you're, you, this seems almost desperate. Like we're trying to just stick Alexa everywhere, and I would really like it if they would try some other, uh, play some other notes as well. I don't know about people how they want to use voice assistants. It's not really how I want to use them. Um, I, I still sort of stuck at Siri 101 and feeling like yes, a few things are kind of cool, but it's not super life changing for me. I don't have a Echo. I have an Echo. Dot, my sister gave me for Christmas. I haven't unopened. I uh, hope she's not listening. <laughs> and uh, because every time I think about doing it, it just feels like overwhelming. I, and uh, even just recently, when I had five weeks basically in bed with the knee injury, I thought, oh, now I'm sorry. I don't have Alexa because I could be telling Alexa to do some things around here. And I came very close. My friend was here visiting me. She says, what about the clapper, right? So the, <laughs> the thing that you clap your hands, it turns the light on. And I'm like, you know what? I would get the clapper now. And I went on Amazon. I, I, I searched on clapper and it gave me results for remote controlled, like, uh, you know, uh, electrical sockets. So really all I needed was that my fan was plugged into one of these sockets and I could remote control it on and off as I need it. And I thought, yeah, that's really all I need. I don't need to say, hey, elect, whatever, turn on the fan um, because I have the thing right here and I'm not going anywhere. So so that's that's how I want to use them, I, as little as possible. <laughs> I think uh, Jason's right that uh, Amazon has the freedom to throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Sometimes, literally, like some of their stuff actually goes on the wall. Um, and I feel like they're the most, and maybe, I don't know if this is like Jeff Bezos's like ethos coming down, but I feel like they are one of those companies that's like looking at science fiction stuff all the time and being like, could we do that? Maybe we could do that. Like, a, seriously, a ring that you like hold up to your ear. Like that feels like a science fictional device you would see in a TV show or something like that. I'm not convinced it's something people will actually use. And that's why, as Anjay alluded to, like the glasses in the ring are still kind of in test territory. Um, I think they've made a lot of stuff and some of it's good, but they're limited in some ways by their platform. So like I bought one of those Echo Auto things, um, which essentially you put in your car and it brings the Echo abilities to your car. And it's fine if you don't have a car that has CarPlay, right? Like the fact that Apple has integration and Android also has Android Auto, those are better solutions um, unless you're really attached to the Echo ecosystem. But 
it feels like maybe they're hindered a little bit by not having a even bigger platform. Like the Echo is their biggest platform in some ways, uh, in a way that like FireOS never really took off. Uh, and so I, I understand them trying to do all these different things and, and try to figure out which of these things is actually the, the one that's going to succeed. And I think, you know, to all of your points, the answer might have been the original Echo speaker <laughs> and not really much after that. Mm. So, yeah, maybe maybe they're chasing something that's not even there. But thank you all for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our second topic, which comes from Ange. Hey, so camera systems on phones, uh, Apple finally, I'm using air quotes, which this is a podcast, so you can see them, but I am around the finally, I don't want to get mail. <laughs> he has an ultra wide lens on both phones, right? So, and th- that was the main thing for me because it included it into the, you know, l- less expensive iPhone 11, right? Uh, and then the Pro just has the telephoto next to the wide and the ultra wide. So I've been a fan of the ultra wide lens for a while. I, I think LG was kind of the first uh, major manufacturer to kind of put it into a phone and ever since then i've been waiting for the pixel to get it and the iphone as well so so um how are you guys liking it if you have the new phone and was it a good idea to kind of put that on the you know less expensive phone uh, with apple which i think is an awesome idea but i'm i'm wondering if one of you guys kind of thinks that maybe the telephoto would have been a better idea so I like the ultra wide. I, I accept the idea that there are shots that you kind of can't get. You you can't back up, and you want to get a, a spread of what you're seeing, and the ultra wide will give it to you. Although the ultra wide is has got some very weird uh, lens distortion that I think makes uh, makes the edges of the pictures, especially. I mean, that's just how ultra wide lenses work. It's a little bit weird. Um, I, I get why they did it. I like that it's there. I am surprised that they decided to have the ultra-wide rather than the telephoto as the second camera on the 11. I really assumed it would be the other way around. And I say that because as somebody who had the iPhone XS before, I use the 2X, the telephoto, all the time to get closer to things I can't walk up to and just to get that shot and have it be full quality. And uh, that would be, if I was getting an iPhone 11, I would be disappointed that I would be giving that up. But I like the idea of the ultra wide because I think the truth is there are all sorts of things. I was in my, I was moving my daughter into her dorm room and I wanted to get a shot of her dorm room and it's a tiny room. I couldn't get a shot of the room without the ultra wide, but with the ultra wide, I could get most of the, the room in because I can't back up you know, beyond the wall. So I, I, I see the value in it, even though I really like the telephoto. Yeah, I was wondering about that, too, because when I had the 10s as well, and I really only used the telephoto to get in closer to take pictures of guinea pigs, because, you know, the closer you get in, the quicker they want to run away. And I, it's 2x, it's not 10x or something like that. I thought, I wonder how much use people are getting out of the telephoto. Um, would I miss it? I don't think I would miss it that much. Whereas ultra wide, you know, I haven't taken enough photos with it to, you know, get a sense that, like you say, I, I understand there would be distortion. But I used to have the um, iographer frame for my iPhone and attached the wide angle lens using that. And it was so great, especially like at places like WWDC, where, you know, trying to take group pictures or, you know, getting things in the background. And I got very uh, accustomed to having a wide angle option. But unfortunately, with that particular product at the time, when the phone changed, you had to get a new Mm. uh, case for it. It was very custom built for the specific phone. And so I haven't had one in a while. And I was pretty excited for ultra wide because I do like to get a little bit more of the picture. So I, I'd be interested if there could be a true poll 
of what people are, you know, more happy to have if you can only have two lenses. Yeah, I, I mean, like Jason, I had the 10s for the 10 telephoto, and I got a lot of use out of it because you can get shots that are just harder to get uh, on your standard normal wide lens. I haven't used the ultra wide as much. Part of me wonders if the reason they chose to do that was because they could also show it off in the software features, like that whole capture outside the frame thing. And so maybe mm -hmm. that's a more compelling story to tell, like, oh, look at the picture you top uh, took, but there's more to that picture. Whereas the telephoto, maybe it was getting lost. I mean, I, I have to assume they had metrics on, on how much the people on the 10R were using the telephoto lens, and maybe they felt like, eh, it's not getting as much use as we like. Maybe the ultra wide would be, would be better. Uh, or more cynically, I guess, maybe it was just cheaper to put in than the telephoto. <laughs> um, maybe the thought is, you know, hey, enough people use digital zoom and don't really mind, even though it's not as good as a 2X, like optical lens, uh, that they felt like they could get away with still having zoom capability, even if it wasn't a dedicated lens. So the ultra wide potentially opens up uh, possibilities that you can't get um, in some other form. And I suspect maybe that's why they went with it. But for me, I certainly so far I've gotten more use out of the telephoto, but I haven't had as long with the ultra wide. So I don't know if that will if that will change as things go along. Anjay, any last thoughts? Uh, yeah, just the distortion, which I, I do sort of get that it kind of gets weird around the edges of the photos. But as someone who's you know reviewed pretty much every Android phone in existence and has seen really crappy ultra wide lenses, like the iPhone one is kind of great, right? <laughs> and I'll just channel uh, one of my friends here who, who's a video guy who just keeps ranting, why don't they just put ultra wide, uh, you know, cameras uh, lenses on the front of the phones? <laughs> like that's the thing, yeah. right? For the yeah. like gr the group selfies and then like every company now even apple oh we have like the front facing camera can go a little wider and then they show it and it's like maybe you get like a couple of inches <laughs> more and it's like that's that's no no more <laughs> that's that's what i think they should kind of move the ultra wide but uh we'll see indeed we shall well that is two topics down two topics to go which of course means it is halftime here at clockwise and today's show is brought to you by our very good friends at Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud, and you can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distribution resources and node location. Linode serves their customers with the help of 10 data centers across the globe, and they're about to add more. Mumbai, India, and Toronto, Canada will both have data centers before 2020. Linode features native SSD storage, a 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors, meaning you're able to serve your customers even faster than before. And so you don't have to stress about overspending. Linode has designed their pricing tiers to feature hourly building, billing with the added bonus of a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services, such as backups and node balancers. Linode has, has pricing options to suit everyone. Their plans start at a gigabyte of RAM for just $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting with 16 gigabytes of RAM. And Linode has a special offer for you as a listener of this show. You can go to linode.com slash clockwise and use promo code clockwise2019 to get $20 towards any Linode plan. On that one gigabyte of RAM plan, that's four free months. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you have absolutely nothing to lose. So give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash clockwise and promo code clockwise2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, halftime is over. Jason Snell, what do you have for us? Well, as I mentioned earlier, my daughter just started in college, and she's in a dorm room now that's so small that you need the ultra-wide lens to <laughs> capture it. Um, and I, I wanted to do a totally wacky hypothetical, which is let's, uh, let's imagine you're going back to school 
uh, to college, and you can only have one tech product to do your schoolwork on. I'll give you, like, a smartphone in the pocket if you want. Everybody's got a smartphone. But, like, let's assume you need a thing that's technology-based. What is that product? What product do you buy and take with you to school? Gene? For me, it's the iPad. There's no doubt about it. I'm so much more on my iPad than my Mac these days, and I use it for all of my writing and um, emailing. And if I were taking notes at a conference, I can totally imagine myself in college with the iPad and the keyboard um, and the pencil. You know, it'd be awesome. But um, I, it, the question hit home for me because two years ago I gave my niece um, my 9.7-inch iPad keyboard and pencil as a graduation present, you know, all packed up and beautiful back in the boxes. But And she was very excited about it. But then last year at the end of the year, she says, do you mind if I give the iPad to my nephew who was starting college? He wants, I said, no, I don't mind. It's, you know, it's yours. Uh, and so I checked in with both of them yesterday uh, when I saw you were going to bring this up to see what they would answer. And they both said Max. And their reasoning is they, they like the keyboard. They both have used now an iPad with a smart keyboard, um, which is what I gave them. So apparently it's not big enough for their big hands. I don't know. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm surprised, but I don't think the Mac is going out of business at the educational level anytime soon. You know, I had an immediate answer to this when I read the question, and then Jean started me doubting myself. But as as she kept going, I was like, no, I think my, my right instinct was correct. I think it would be a MacBook for me because... Um, I think back to especially the stuff I was doing in college, and, and certainly, you know, I majored in English, so I was doing a lot of writing papers, and you could get away with that on the iPad, that'd be just fine. But I also took so many other classes that required um, software that, well, you can get on the iPad, I feel like for me, I still feel more at home uh, on the Mac, and that included things like doing programming uh, or doing um, some statistics stuff that I had to do for classes, and, and I felt I feel like as much as I like the iPad, my, my home will always be the Mac uh, and I, I just uh, feel super comfortable and I never feel like there's anything I can't do or that I have to work around. And if there is something that's challenging, like it's more like a puzzle than a frustration for me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that the the broad capabilities of the Mac for me at the end of the day just outstrip the iPad. I mean, I could get by with an iPad if I had to, but I, I don't think it would be my primary choice. Well, I think an iPad, my, my, that, that's my answer, basically, but with one of those Jason Snell, Mike Hurley keyboards, right? <laughs> Not the, the oh. Apple one. Like, I think that, that's sort of, I think that's what uh, Gene's uh, niece and nephew were getting at. I think, yeah, I think you need a proper keyboard for school. Like, I'm just going to take out, like Dan said, all of the software you might need or, or at a specific college, right? But I wouldn't also discount sort of a Chromebook. Because uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff on my Chromebook uh, at work, actually, and you can—I I think you can get away if it's all if it's all spreadsheets and Word documents, right? I think you can get away with a Chromebook, which has you know one of the good ones that has an actual keyboard, not one of the you know plastic ones that looks like a knockoff again, <laughs> just like a proper proper sort of keyboard. I think you can probably get away with it. And but I will say the iPad with especially the the last uh, Pro models with the you know you can put a USB stick in them and transfer stuff right i think that that's the game changer there i think that and one of those you know jason snell mike hurley 
bridge whatever keyboards that kind of looks like a MacBook then, but has a touchscreen and can use the pencil. I think that kind of that sounds kind of perfect for somebody at school. And you know, maybe like an Office 365 subscription, so you know, all of your you know paperwork is kind of compatible with you know the dot dots x you know uh, file uh, <laughs> extension that every university here basically requires, right? So no pages and numbers and all of that stuff. But yeah, so iPad Pro with a fancy Jason Snell keyboard. That's my answer. Well, my answer is the same one. You'll be shocked to you'll be shocked to hear. But when I was uh, up there for orientation with my daughter, I went to a session about technology at the University of Oregon because I wanted to I wanted to see what they said. Really, it was for my own interest more than anything else. And I actually asked the guy, and this is a guy in the IT department of a university. I said, "So do you think a student could do this with an iPad?" And he said, I was waiting for him to be like, get a real computer, jerk, right? And he, and he said, uh, absolutely. He said, absolutely, you could do it with an iPad. Um, they have a site license for Office 365. Everybody on campus has it and has OneDrive. And the apps for, for that, the Microsoft apps on, on the iPad are great. And uh, he said, you could totally do it. And this was even before iOS 13, which gets you, I think, past some of the, like, you might come up with a website that doesn't work right on mobile but now ios 13 the ipad loads it like it's a desktop browser instead and i feel like even more so you could do that that all said what is my daughter using to do her work at the university of oregon she's using a three-year-old 12-inch macbook and it's going (laughs) fine so far so you know what i can i can advocate for the ipad all uh, all I want. I even offered to buy her a new MacBook Air, and she's like, "No, this is fine for now." So, twelve-inch <laughs> MacBook with one port. It's oh, uh, wow. it's powering That's... her through so far. All right, one more question left. Uh, Jean, it's your turn. What do you have for us? I am in the midst of booking travel for this uh, upcoming holiday season. Plus, next summer, I decided to go back to Slovenia, um, and. Uh, it's a great country. I can highly recommend it. Um, the people are tall and very good looking. Um, I, I'm sort of getting into a rabbit hole, especially on airline stuff right now, uh, of trying to figure out, you know, my best way to get somewhere. I, I, I'm not like a heavy frequent flyer and travel hacking person. I'm kind of an amateur at that. But if you had to recommend one uh, thing that you always go to um, when you start booking a trip that's like more than just making a plain old vanilla airline reservation. What do you look for? First of all, I admire your pandering to the Slovenian contingent. Guys. <laughs> well done. Um, so, you know, um, I'm very lucky. I am married to somebody who loves trying to find optimized flights. She, mm. I mean, My wife used to be a consultant, so she flew all the time. And for a while, she had tons of points. Um, but she also just really enjoys finding like sort of the best bargain on every flight, which sometimes means we have really weird layovers in places. Uh, it's so good. Um, but, and I usually leave most of the travel stuff to her because she really enjoys doing it, but I help out where I can, um, for our honeymoon, for example, I, I spent a long time on TripAdvisor for booking, um, places to stay. And my experience mm. with that has been pretty good. I feel like it's a good resource um, in terms of like it has a good community around it that actually does like rate things and you can read good reviews and stuff like that. I, it's, I treat it the same way I treat Yelp at home. Yelp just isn't as as distributed, uh, I think, in other places I've traveled. So I, I really do rely a lot on TripAdvisor. It's not perfect, but it's a good place to start. And I will just add in here, it's not really technological, but 
pretty much every place I go in Europe anyways, uh, I always buy a Rick Steves guidebook, like the ebook version, just because sometimes yeah. there's there's no real substitute for it. And it's a great place to also cross-reference. Like if you look stuff up online, you're like, oh, well, this site, this place is ranked really well and it shows up in Rick Steves, then you can like feel pretty good that you've got yourself a, a good pick there. So that's that's sort of where I turn. Andrzej? Yeah, well, uh, I'm just going to add to the TripAdvisor thing. That's where you, in Europe at least, get all of the comments from the Americans saying they don't accept credit cards here. (laughs) (laughs) uh, For me, it's Google Flights. Like, I'm still operating under the assumption when Google bought sort of the infrastructure, like the piping for the flight information. Like, I don't know why people still go to all of those, you know, weird websites where supposedly you'll find like a better flight, but they're all like riddled with ads and trackers and they, some, some of them kind of charge commission or whatever. But like in Google flights, it's gotten like the website, like the sort of the interface has gotten a lot better. And you usually then buy the, ticket from the actual airline you'll be flying with which is amazing because there was a point in there where like a couple of years ago where you would never buy the ticket at the actual airline there will be some intermediary so google flights is like a go-to for me like anywhere i go that's that's the first place i look and then maybe i'll check one of those weird there's a site called Momondo or whatever that people keep recommending to me but i've never found like a cheaper flight than on google flights so uh, for me, uh, seconding a bunch of stuff here, seconding Rick Steves, I will uh, go before we go somewhere, I will go to the bookstore and buy his book. And one of the things he encourages is if you're only going to parts of what's covered in the book, um, rip those parts out of the book and then travel <laughs> lighter with just those parts. It's great, actually. It's a it's a great technique. Um, I also like for going to Hawaii, there's the Hawaii Revealed book series, which is spectacular. If you're going to a particular island, get the Maui Revealed or the Kauai Revealed or whatever. Those are great. Um, I, I second Anjay on Google Flights. That is a great service if people don't know about it. It is a really good use. It's like Google using its powers for good and not evil yes. <laughs> in, in as a search engine for flight uh, fares, which is really great. I will occasionally use Kayak or Orbitz to do some flight research as well. Um, some of those sites have been updated to do things like track some hidden fees and make them more apparent for things like economy, like basic economy, where you're going to have to pay more to buy a seat because those are hidden fees that you think you get a good deal and then you look and you end up having to pay an extra $50 per leg to have a seat and uh, I hate that so some t- some of the search engines are playing a good game there um, for bookings I uh, I actually use VRBO um, more than Airbnb uh, just because I'm not uh, in my 20s and VRBO kind of caters to people who are older and have families and and are not looking just sort of to sleep it off on a couch somewhere like so much of airbnb <laughs> sorry airbnb but it's true um and uh i also want to put in a plug for hotels.com which i is an expedia service but i actually use it a lot to do my hotel booking and i really like it i really like being able to get uh use their search engine and find good hotel deals and that uh and then if you use their service you also earn like free nights and hotels and all that and i actually do that and finally i'll put in a plug for scott's cheap flights.com Uh, if you subscribe to that, you get alerts in email about incredible flight deals, and they say their average user saves like $500 on a ticket. It's it's a, a great deal if you want to travel the world and save some money. So those are my tips. It's interesting because I hear you on like, you know, target age of certain services. I, I do look pretty hard for upgraded 
um, seats that I can get with points uh, to for the long legs of the travel, so the transatlantic or trans-Pacific. And that is right now where I have been putting in a lot of time, and it's becoming a game to me. I did pretty well last summer when I went, um, but uh, this, you know, it's, it's, it's a crapshoot. You, you know, you never know what's going to be available when. I do read a blog called The Points Guy. I've gotten a lot of good information from that site um, and have actually done some very travel hacky things with points that I wouldn't have thought of myself. I will also say like the Alaska Airlines app is really good. You know, you can book a flight pretty easily unless it's to Slovenia on your <laughs> iPhone. Well, uh, lots of great travel tips for everybody out there. That marks the end of our four topics. We have just enough time for a bonus topic. I want to know from you guys, what's a food you've come around on, Anje? Just broccoli. Okay. I used to just not be a broccoli guy. Now I'm a broccoli guy. I'm going to introduce you as a broccoli guy from now on, Anje. <laughs> uh, Brussels sprouts for me. Um, roasted or uh, fried or whatever you do with them. I always thought that they were vile and they're actually fantastic. Jason, Brussels sprouts guy. I didn't say I was a Brussels sprouts guy. You take that back. It's interesting. I liked broccoli and Brussels sprouts as a kid. So I was like, what am I going to say? But there is one thing I made myself start trying and now I actually like it and will actually order it on my own volition, which is beets. They can't be beets. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) When I was growing up, tacos meant those hard shell beef, all those terrible things you got in the cafeteria at school. And my wife really brought me around and, and now I'm I'm a taco guy. You can introduce me as taco guy. That's taco fine. guy. <laughs> taco guy. That is the end of the show. All that remains is for us to thank our fantastic guest this week. Andre Tomic, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. And it's broccoli guy. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> and Gene McDonald, thank you. Thank you for having me. And Jason, thanks for uh, doing some civic duty and filling in here. We appreciate it. It's like riding a bike or jury duty, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <No>. exactly. Same <laughs> so, thing. All right. Uh, Micah will return next week. But until then, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 <laughs>